Welcome to the Dairy Farmer's Digest, a podcast dedicated to all things dairy farming. Each episode, we will talk to industry leaders who share their insights and experiences into the dairy business. I'm your host, Keith Schweitzer, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the uh, DFD podcast. I'm your host, Keith Schweitzer. Today, we have a a very special three-time guest coming back on the podcast, uh, Gary Marcus from Mark Hill Farms, uh, him and his wife uh, farmed dairy just uh, just south of Ingersoll, and Gary is also an elite account manager with Alta Genetics here in Ontario. So why don't you say hi, Gary, and uh, is there anything new happening at uh, Mark Hill Farms lately? Hey, everyone. It's uh, Thanks for having me again, Keith. Uh, third time, I guess. Third time's a charm. But uh, no, I, well, new, I guess there's lots new in my world but uh yeah we're now just in the middle, in the middle of a building process uh or project sorry and uh getting close to the end i guess a uh, couple months left here and back to the uh, i guess figuring out our new normal once uh, the cows are back that's quite a task you've taken on there building a new barn and trying to decide what you want to build these days i know there's lots of uh there's lots of different options when it comes to ventilation and getting cows milk so there's a lot of uh, a lot of information I, I suppose you see every day on the road out there in different barns and and different farms. So, yeah, it's one it's one thing that uh, you know in the past fourteen years or thirteen years, I guess, with Alta is yeah, you get into a, a lot of barns both in the U.S. and in Canada and try and take home things that you do, things that you wouldn't do, um, and at the same time, I think somewhere around the say mid 2000s we kind of figured out what uh cows do well in and that's space and cow comfort and then yeah more recently there's lots of new ideas and new thoughts anyways on ventilation for sure so we're gonna we're gonna give some neutral pressured tunnel ventilation a try at our place and see how that goes for us oh that's good that's exciting so I know you're uh, chomping out the bit to get back milking your own cows here. So, <laughs> yeah, be, but be a nice new or nice to get back into it for sure. Ed. So, yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, anyway, so the main reason today, Gary, I know you and I have been talking over the last couple of weeks is uh, about calling strategies. I know back when we did the original podcast, I got looking back, uh, I think it was in 2020 when we did it. A lot of it, our talk there was around you know, deciding what's right for your dairy um, and kind of developing a strategy. And I think it, I think the economics have changed a little bit in the dairy industry since we had that discussion. So I thought it'd be great to kind of get back to back and have a look at that again. I know, you know, milk prices been pretty good, but you know, interest rates are higher. Cattle prices, call prices are quite a bit higher than they were then. I think we're, you know, 40 to 50% higher than we were three years ago. So I think it's good just to kind of double back and make sure that uh, we keep the same kind of continuity and message out in front of farmers so they can make the right decisions for their dairies. So, yeah. And there's definitely, you know, definitely things that have changed, right? Like, uh, like you said, uh, wasn't that long ago, we were 65 to 60 to 65 cents per, for call weight. Uh, and now I know like last week for just, an 1800 pound cow got, you know, one, 
a buck thirty two for call price. No, that's uh grossing, sorry, not uh take home, but uh that definitely changes the calling strategy for sure and um and definitely got replacements and and you know the beef side hasn't really changed a whole lot is that still yes beef prices you know you can sell calves right now for you know nine hundred dollars uh for drop male calves um you know that's still somewhat relative as the holstein veal prices come up so that's still that that equation is somewhat the same as say two years ago that it's just a higher number today um for both um but definitely the call price for call cows, anything decent definitely is fairly rewarding uh, throwing them on a call truck today. Yeah. So I guess that's the the goal of the podcast is to make sure that, you know, the cow leaves on her best day of her life, not on her, on her worst. I know it's a broken record, Keith again, but you know, when you send out a call, you get a check. When you send out dead stock, you have to generally write a check to get that, uh, taken care of so what can producers do i guess where where's a jumping off point uh when a producer's thinking about developing a calling strategy for their farm well i think the a, a good place to start is i think you need whether it's some outside help or some in, internal help within the dairy i think you gotta just you gotta identify are we are we keeping cows long enough or are we keeping cows too long um, and I think the vast majority of dairies, um, right now, anyways, you know, we're in a period where I think we're seeing inventories rise. Um, I'd say the last four years for sure, we've seen a, a lot of beef usage, uh, inventories came down through protein, you know, high protein pricing, um, a lot of beef calves being born. Um, I think we're starting to see that level off in the big picture, um, and uh, I think I think that's going to be a good thing for most dairy farms, as as I think enough went a little bit too far on that pendulum. And it's to, what I would consider anyways is that now we're milking cows that we have to milk, not that we want to milk. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big difference between again the control mechanism of who's making the decision on the dairy, the cow or the or the herd manager, or the farmer, and when when we start needing cows to stay around because we don't have enough inventory driving them out or they become less profitable or the dairy becomes less profitable, then that's when the cow is driving the decision and and it's out of me, the producer's hand on, Hey, when that cow leaves on her best day, because now we're keeping cows too long and we have to identify that as a dairy. And that changes the uniqueness of that is every dairy is a little bit different. Um, That hasn't changed, but, we do need to identify within herds when do cows as as a statistical number start, you know, their decline. Is that after, you know, the vast majority that's going to be after third lactation and some less herds, maybe fourth lactation with good transition programs. But in that ballpark, we have to just start deciding what cows stay or what old cows stay and what old cows go and are replaced with you know, genetically superior animals or environmentally superior animals at the very least, because we're doing a bet, we're doing a better job raising them. And um, so that hasn't really changed. It's just, I think we're in a, we're in a, you know, more stable inventory environment than we were say prior to 2019 when everybody had way, way too many heifers. And we're looking at, you know, 150% of your heifers, 
cow ratio or one one to 1.5 heifer to cow ratio. And now we're getting closer to that. I want to say most dairies are in that 80 to 90 or eight. Yeah. 89, 80, 80 to 90% of milking cows in heifer inventory. And I think that's more a comfortable area for more producers to be driving their inventory decisions. And um, so then it's establishing, you know, no different than again, in our opinion, for sure is establishing, you know, when our cow is statistically not going to be, more profitable than the replacement coming in yeah and i think that's a good question to ask because i i think and and i see it too is that the industry has shifted towards talking about longevity and keeping cows around longer but research will tell you like after the fifth lactation there's a big drop and if you're keeping sixth and seventh lactation cows around are they cows that are genetically superior or are they just good at getting pregnant Right, hundred percent, and and yeah. and if they're making beef calves, that's you know that's one thing because we yeah. we can we can we have we do have to have a fresh herd, and days and milk is our tie or closest tie to return on investment, uh, or sorry, return over feed. Um, so we we do have to keep an eye on pregnancies required and and whatnot to inventories required to maintain herd growth or sorry herd yield, and. Um, you know, the whole longevity argument for me, yes, old cows are great. I want, I want all my cows to make old cows. Um, but the reality is that's not possible. Not, it's not possible, but it's also, you know, Gary gets in the, I, I always use myself as, as the uh, problem <laughs> on the farm, which is usually is. Um, <laughs> so I get myself or the herd manager or herd person or a facility issue gets in the way of most cows making good old cows. And so we 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 definitely have markers that can identify what makes a good old cow, and the longevity equation. I, I always come back to you know, there's two there's two things: profitability and longevity. They 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 somewhat go hand in hand. But I don't need longevity to experience profitability. But I definitely definitely need lo- uh, profitability to experience longevity. And so I need my top my middle of the herd to be profitable. Um, and, and there's a whole lot of decision-making that people get lost in the weeds a little bit of managing their bot, their worst cows and not mm-hmm. putting enough focus on their top end cows or top end of their herd, not just cow individuals, but we, we need to focus on the top end and, and, you know, realize what the bottom end is, which is essentially at the end of the, end of the day, their byproduct and the byproducts meet, and we want them to leave, on a tr- on a truck making call price instead of you know again tr- allowing them to hey we got to stick we need every cow we can because we don't have a good enough repro program we don't have a good enough reproductive inventory management and now we need that seventh lactation cow walking around with high somatic cell bad legs or prone to ulcers or strawberry foot or digi- digital dermatitis that you know tops out at 10,000 liters well if Mm-hmm. In today's world, if we don't have heifers making ten thousand liters, there's other things going on that need to be addressed. Uh, that are, that calling's not going to fix. Yeah, and I guess you're right there too with the inventories because yeah, if you don't have the young stock coming in, you're not going to have the old stock sticking around, right? Yeah, we we need young stock pushing the old stock out, mm-hmm. um, and everything. You know, obviously, I'm in the genetic world. You know the calves coming up should be our genetic potential, highest genetic potential animals. 
Um, again, if Gary hasn't gotten the weight too much, then they should be expressing far better than what my old cow is doing. That doesn't mean the old cow is a bad cow by no means. Mm-hmm. And that's where the longevity argument comes and, you know, the quote unquote free milk uh, conversation comes from. Like, there's nothing wrong with these cows. It's just they, they've they done their time and they're, you know, at some point they're going to become a liability to the herd average. And if we don't have enough two-year-olds to replace that or um, second calvers or whatnot to replace that old cow, you know, at some day she's going to give as much milk as a two-year-old and she should be on her way out. And there, there's a definite bell curve to that. Yeah. And, and I, I find too, is you get older herds, you run into more issues on transition and things like that, which can be really detrimental to longevity as well, because once a cow experiences some kind of transition disease, like her likelihood of making another lactation are probably quite a bit lower than say one of her cohorts that would calve in and get started up and keep going on without really any hiccups. Right. Right. And and I would challenge anyone to, you know, we get on farm and a lot of people are like, why, well, you know, my good old cows give ton, you know, 12,000 or 13,000 liters of milk a year. And that's, you know, that's all great. But then when you, I, I would always challenge them to go in the cow cards and of your oldest cows and just, and go through their lack, you know, it's, if you're in dairy comp, for instance, um, most of them probably have a lactation list, but you, you can go right on there and you can totally look for yourself that, you know, cows that hit five and six, and if lucky enough, seven lactations, those cows generally peaked at fourth lactation and started incrementally dropping down um, from, say, 14 to 12 to 11. And then they may, they might stay at 11. But again, if we're not producing two-year-olds that can now produce a t- 10, 12, 10, 11, 12,000 liters, um, when you get back to the return over feed question, if we're not shooting for that how else are we ever going to take home more more of the milk check than Mm -hmm. the neighbor for instance on a you know when we need to you know the next farm comes up for sale or or you know being more profitable or whatever the equation for your dairy is the difference is one person or one producer is making more than the other and how do we make sure that we're in that well in my opinion i think a lot of people's opinion how do we how do we make sure that we're in the 70th 75 percentile because yeah the bottom 50 percent is on the way out some level or another you know it might take mm-hmm. 25 years it might take next week but today's world it's it's not going in the right direction for the bottom for from the margin standpoint um for those producers so i think to maximize you know again for me it's cfp i say i say 12 to thirteen thousand, but there's no reason herds can't be pushing that two and a half to three kilos of combined fat and protein um, out the door for every stall. And uh, the stall is our limiting factor on profit. So in, in a lot of ways, places, you know, uh, in Oxford County, for sure. And like say most of the Southwestern Ontario, for sure. It's, it's a highly competitive market where we're, for years we've measured a, you know, how many cows you milk is the measurement tool to, yeah somewhat of the success level of a farm and quite honestly i i think a lot of farms have been overlooked this by you know i want to actually milk less cows then mm-hmm. if i milk 150 cows in five years and produce more quota then i'm, I'm in a better position 
I see that per- 150 cows and I can't really wave the flags out too big, so to speak. Right. So, yeah, I, I see that paradigm shift a little bit with younger producers and I'm not sure what the mentality is, but you know, they, they're, they're more talking about how many kilos per cow they're shipping or how many kilos of quota versus how many cows they have. And, you know, just thinking about the producers who are, who are young and by young, I mean, like, you know, I'd say mid twenties to, to 40 years old, kind of the, the next generation of dairy people coming up, but they really don't care how many they milk. They want to, I think they've, you know, the, there's far more on-farm software um, that helps again, you know, some of us need, you know, a third party to it, to read that software or to analyze the information, but there's, there is more management tools and, uh, and that's not saying bigger isn't better by no means. Um, but the reality is there is a element of scale that the economies of scale, sorry, that allow, you know, some things to fall through the cracks once you get a little bit bigger, but today, today, some of the, the vast majority of the average farm size is still correct me if I'm cows. wrong. It's about a hundred, hundred cows or under just under hundred cows. Um, that is still, you know, a one family unit farm. And those farms are going to experience interest rates and margins that need to be, you know, I, you know, getting back to how do we take home more of the milk check and yeah. in today's world? Well, I was thinking about this and I was talking to one of my clients on Friday and we were having this discussion about what do we need to look at when culling? Um, Like what are the criteria? What are, what are we thinking about? And at the end of it, I got to think in myself, I'm like, and I kind of mentioned it to the producer too. I'm like, the checks that you're getting from these call cows are a revenue stream too. Like this is, you know, when the margins are getting a little bit thinner you know, animal sales at the end of the day is so, still something that your accountant or your banker is going to look at as well, right? It's part of the pot that's coming into the farm. So let's make profitable decisions to, you know, better everybody's bottom line. Because on the other hand, it's a there's a cost associated with raising a heifer. Like if you're feeding milk replacer uh, and caster these days, like you're looking at six to 700 800 maybe even 900 to get them to 100 days of life you know that's a and that's when most of your cost is incurred in these younger animals so making the i think right i decisions, think if you're raising your calves right now like a thousand dollars all in say to 100 days i like the 100 day mark but a thousand dollars to 100 days is is you know it's not out of the question not it's definitely definitely not lowballing it um no so hundred percent, like that is where uh, a huge part of the investment in, in calves is, or, or in, I'm sorry, replacements. Um, and so we do need to, I, I think we've seen a vast improvement on how producers, vets, producers, calf, your calf person, how we've done through that stage of life. I, I think we've seen a, a big improvement on that and a, pretty good focus on a lot of farms um that doesn't mean we don't have our little you know spell where something goes through and we don't know what's going on and have to you know realign things but for the most part we've done there's there's still a lot we can do through daily gains and stuff like that that we can show you know you you can show off anybody's 
computer that hey we the more we daily get the more we achieve daily gain the higher the yield is first and second third fourth calvers um it just it the the rewards reaped through good calf nutrition and heifer raising um it, again it's, it's it's a big investment that has big returns if we do it properly and so then it then it's managing who stays who goes no different in my opinion again no different than the milking herd the quicker we can cheap, you know, cut that emotional tie, the quicker we generally make good business decisions. Um, and, and whether that's again, reproductive management, um, or, or noticing, you know, calves that are doing poorly and mm -hmm. not trying to have, uh, you know, not thinking that they're going to make up the difference of our best calves. It's our best calves are going to come down to meet them, not, the worst calves go up to meet the best calves. It's just once we have so many health events on calves, it's they don't respond back. Mm -mm. So then they need to be, we need to make the business decision. They need to go or they need to be the neighbor's problem or the next province's problem or the U.S. problem for yeah. us. So yeah, I think we're I bad at, we're still bad at making that decision as, as, as on-farm producers. It's, it's, something that we i think a lot of people still struggle with of when to get rid of them and we have we have all the keys that we need to make the decision we just have to make that decision now yeah so let's let's kind of build off that a little bit so like if we look at the total life cycle of a lactation animal or even we'll start at a calf and, and go right through to the day she leaves the farm like at what point are you thinking about okay we need to make a decision on this animal like do you start at a hundred days and then maybe make another decision at breeding age and kind of just go through there? Like what are the checkpoints that you're looking for? Yeah. So for me, like, I really like the hundred day number. These calves are kind of through transition already. They, uh, again, good systems will have low events on these heifers. They'll have good daily gains if they know them. Um, again, we talk to a lot of producers. They all say they have good daily gains. The reality is very few still. Um, I, I know some numbers I saw last week uh, from a vet clinic. Uh, they were using 700 grams as a acceptable level. To me, that's not where Slow. we need to be. No, I think we need to be closer to that you know, 900 gram mark, that two pounds of daily gain uh, per day of life uh, at, at 100 days. Uh, I like Again, I like 100 days because they're kind of through that first transition zone of milk to grain um to group housing depending on again if they're coming out of huts um so i, I kind of like that spot as a our first measurement um we we have to invest some level like unless they're dyers or they've been sick a whole bunch of time as young calves that's i think the first point that we can really make a good decision on whether calves have come through that program good or bad and then well, we have to make that decision hey this calf's not doing good. She's only 700 grams a gain or 600 grams a gain. Again, make that calf someone else's problem. Or she enter a steer program or, you know, a fat calf program, a beef program of some sort on farm. If that's what you, if you got room for that on farm. Um, after that, it becomes how many health events going forward do you have for me anyways, and through up to the breeding program. If you have, Again, all yeah, it's it's not unique to a, a set program because every dairy is a little bit different and their bottleneck 
is a little bit different, right? So tons, I find lots of people have a bottleneck switching from pack to freestalls. You know, sometimes that's in that six to, let's say six to 10 month range for a lot of heifers where you'll see a bunch of heifers just lose weight and not, again, that's kind of where they kind of hit a wall. That's their bottleneck. Yep. Again, yeah. How, how they manage through that. So for me, that's where the investment needs to be made next on the dairy is where that bottleneck is. And you can, as long as you're taking daily gains, you can totally find that out on where, where that is in your dairy. That's another good point, wherever you transition for me. And then I I think we've gotten reproduction to a point where we don't need to be breeding heifers four, five, six times to establish that these are bad breeding animals and they're going to be bad breeding cows. And that becomes a pretty easy cut point for me. But then again, as long as you have the inventory replacements, you're driving that decision. If you don't have them, then no different than a milking cow you're kind of being run by your heifers. Yeah, you're always looking, like to me, you've always got to look at future milk. So whether you're looking at a calf that's born on a dairy today, or if you're looking at a two-year-old going into this, or 22-month-old going into the Springer pen, like they've got, there's mathematics that you can do. You know how how many kilos of quota you have. You know when the high demand is for milk in your specific area that you might be getting a premium on it. So you can work that all the way back. So as long as you've got enough animals entering the start of the program i think it's just managing your bottlenecks and then managing your your herd so that you do have the ability to call if you need to like if you're like the herds that are sitting sometimes at you know 50 50 60 percent of their like their heifer herd compared to their cow herd like i get nervous (laughs) i just like like there's just there's no wiggle room like there's no if you have something happen in the barn, like say, you know, you're in a slatted barn and you have some slats break and a group of heifers go down to the manure pit, like all of a sudden you are behind the eight ball and you're going to end up either not filling, not filling production or, you know, having to buy animals into the herd. Right. Right. And that, that depends on your comfort level, right. For like, yeah. I think it's always best to uh, try and be self-sufficient on that number. Right. So like, for mm-hmm. example, like, like I was on a herd, I heard last week that, you know, 230 to 50 kilos or so their target was to have 60 heifers a year. And that's all great. As long as, and the offset being all beef. Um, and that's all, like I said, all great, but there's no wiggle room to be on a self-sufficient level that you, you need every heifer and, and to a certain degree, every cow to transition well to maximize to be able to fill your quota um and, and it's just some dairies can some dairies can't but if if you don't know where your bottleneck is then you're going to be managing that constant bottom 50 percent and whether like by managing treatments and you know poor breeders and all those elements i was what i would call the bottom 50 percent um and that's that's going to leave you at a point where you're milking management failures, and mm-hmm. which means you're not maximizing your, in my, again, for me, CFP per stall um, or your dollars per kilo of butterfat out the door. Yeah. Those are your profitability drivers. Yeah. So we've looked at heifers here at 100 days old at breeding. 
you know, maybe you had to breed them three, four times and they just never got pregnant. So we take another assessment there. Now, when they go into the close up pen, like, what are you looking at? Um, maybe on a, on a whole herd level, not just at, uh, the, the new, the new class of cattle well, I, coming in, but. I, I would say, um, so for me, heifers are, are the close up pen or sorry, are, um, the breeding pen to make that decision. Once, once they're bred, I think, uh, again, managing your, you know, uh, again, for me, dairy comp, uh, your due summary and managing that as needed um, to, if you need to get rid of five to, uh, let's say, let's say one month, you have 15 to 20% of your herd calving one month. If you can manage that number ahead of the, the close-up pen, I think that's a better decision, um, whether that's selling dairy, selling, you know, a poor doer or sore-footed heifers, um, something like that. Again, managing that due summary I think is one thing that is easy to do. It's, it's again, most programs have it. There's, if you got 15 to 20% of your herd calving in a month, specific month, again, not to overcrowd your transition facility, which most people is just enough most days, if not a little too small and a lot of dairies overcrowding, that is not going to help the overall situation. So again, we can pick, I, I generally, really like to look at heifers in that and again talking strictly heifers here but looking at heifers in that five to six month pregnant stage and saying are there heifers that have backed off from what you know the breeding goals were uh breeding goals as in reproductive goals um or is there do we just have a glut of heifers in that period and that i find that a nice time to assess that and giving you enough time to uh, where's my herd milk yield going where am I going to need all these heifers calving in? Am I at a good place overall? Do I sell a bunch uh, through mm-hmm. a dairy ring or again to the neighbor, your outlet, a outlet, sorry. That way that I'm not stuck overcrowding my calving pen. If I have all this space in the world in a new dry cow barn or a new transition facility, sorry, then I'm not so worried about that stage, but that's a nice stage for me if you are tight for space to identify some more calves or heifers, sorry, that now maybe she's just not one for us today or one for the mm-hmm. system. Um, as far as cows go, I, I would tell you it's too late in the special needs or in the transition barn. Uh, I think those decisions need to be made either post, you know, for me at breeding or prior, just prior to breeding uh, or again, in that five to six month pregnant stage of, noticing you know, or not noticing but where's this half cow at is she you know she struggle with lactation persistency or you know is she you know caught late say closer to 200 days and now she's dried up at 270 to 50 days you know instead of putting that cow dry for 140 days or it's so anywhere from 100 to 140 days that she becomes an outlier from our system and then you know again statistically those cows are they're they're just not statistically you know good success cows statistically they're going to be a train wreck (laughs) yeah we we all remember the one yeah you know calved in and gave fifteen thousand kilos but then you know we all farmers are actually pretty decent at forgetting the three that we pulled out the back and uh put on a dead stock truck so for me those are kind of my key areas you know five or six months pregnant again and using your reproductive planner to uh, on, on any software program uh, to use that and 
identify, you know, where are my slugs and, and then most are built. Yeah. Like I said, a due summary, if we have 15%, that's, that's high, obviously for a month calving of the herd. Um, so pre-planning. And I think that's, you know, for us anyways, that's our job um, is to kind of be involved in that whole structure. If, if a producer needs help with that, that's where they have to lean on third party to ask for that said multiple times we have all the data points we we really just need to trust the computer in front of us in a lot of mm -hmm. places or the you know our, our suppliers should have our best interest in in mind as producers and if you're not then that's probably a supplier issue versus you know i like to be i like generally on my farm i like to be the dumbest person in the room for any specific item whether it be finance agronomy you name it. Um, I, I like to surround myself with someone that I think is smarter than myself at that. And then uh, I think we move forward quicker that way than, you know, me, the producer or a producer being, you know, we've done it this way for my lifetime and that's the way we do it here. So we, we kind of have to get out of our own way as producers too. Back to the point of, you know, calving 15 to percent or whatever of the of the herd like what's a good number that you kind of work with well i don't think like, the numbers change too much the historical number of whatever around 10 percent a month of your quota holdings a month i, I still think that's a a pretty good target uh if we're using again for me dairy comp the do summary is what we what we like to see on your do summary report is about 75 to 80 percent of your quota holdings in that target so that's seven and a half months of pregnancies um the cows and heifers that basically 80 percent of your quota holdings would be done and that usually works out to 10 to 12 percent um now that is high um for a turnover standpoint or sorry an inventory standpoint but again i would ra much rather be driving my decision my decisions being uh sorry the, the farmer being the decision driver versus Again, needing every single cow to get pregnant and every single heifer to get pregnant to make quota or yeah, quota for us or to make the milk necessary. Um, well, and, and if we don't have, it starts in reproduction. And if we don't have that nailed down or, you know, we all run through little blurps of, you know, poor reproductive success that we need to have animals or total pregnancies to predict five, six, seven, eight, nine months down the road, where's our milk flow going to come from? You need people are trying to manage today. And it's like, but your, your, your chance to manage today was nine months ago. Yeah. And we're, and we're, we're trying, we're, we're pretending nine months ago didn't happen, but it's everybody's fault today that we're not making milk. And it's, well, no, we, we have to learn from what we did nine months ago and not do that again, or, you know, make the adjustments necessary, whether it's inventory feed nutrition you know well i i really like that you know 75 to 80 percent on the do summary list or 10 percent a quarter a month or i used to use like 10 to 12 percent of your herd because i see it all the time is that if you don't have enough calvings coming in then you don't have enough breedings and young stock to kind of buffer around that in the future and then you just start to see days of milk creep up and that's the hardest thing on your production is your days in milk. Like 
like a herd at 190 days in milk isn't going to be making milk and combined fat and protein as efficiently as a herd that say 160 days of milk all the time. Like it's one of the biggest things that like me, when I, when I look at a farm is like, okay, why are you constantly, you know, 180 days in milk? Like what's, what's, what's keeping you from getting down to being, you know, 160 average or 150 average all the time. Yeah. hundred percent. Like and again, that gets, to me, that's where inventory is power uh, for the producer. And again, we'd never look at a bunk of feed. And there is a line, don't get me wrong. But we'd never look at a bunk of feed and be like, that's expensive feed sitting there in the bunk. No, we look at it as it's fermenting feed and we're going to, we're going to, you know, feed fermented feed or for, we're going to save fermented feed for six months and not have to feed fresh feed and see the milk production drop. But when we flip that over to animals, we're right away, well, I got to be right on the line. And we, without understanding that the repercussions of that is, well, you're going to have to milk that three quarter cow instead. And not that I'm against personally milking call cows. I've done that lots <laughs> of my life, but, or someone else's call cows. Yeah. But um, we do have to realize that that cow does come at an expense. And um, so inventory is a level of power. And we can't have there there and there is a line. There are farms we you know there are farms that have way too much inventory. Maybe they bought a farm or something like that where you're working through a bottle. You know what is now a bottleneck that they have too much, but that doesn't mean that we can't sensibly work through that problem without you know making some drastic decisions that uh, that heifer isn't profitable. You know, unless they're sick, they are a profitable animal because they're a calf, and mm-hmm. they'll, we'll, we'll pass them on to someone else. And and as long as we understand that you know the hundred every heifer that we need to replace in our in our farm has the capital cost tied to it, but every heifer we don't need is just you know your your expense costs of feed and you know, a little bit of labor and a little bit of bedding, and so it's not near the same as as the uh, the sorry the replacement value of a heifer, um, and and so then then the next heifer isn't so bad, but it's far worse to to be holding on to cows that can't shouldn't be around and instead of today's world selling them for a buck 30 we're selling them for 80 cents because their Mm -hmm. skin and bones going they're eight years old or nine years old and skin and bones going direct slaughter instead of through a dairy or a beef ring like when you're looking like at the next stage of life like after say a two-year-old or any kind of cow calves like you're gonna sit there and make that assessment on whether or not she can make another lactation like like, is it just off eye test? Are you looking at data? Like what's the, what's scary? Well, for me, I'm a, I'm a data. I, I thoroughly enjoy data. So for me, it's a data decision. I, I'm, I, I don't get me wrong. I'm not a huge type guy. I was raised. Well, by eye te- like by eye test, I don't mean type. I mean, you know, is that a chronically three-legged cow? What's her utter confirmation? Okay. Like? So then to like, me, that's a data point like, though, right? Yeah. Okay. Versus eye test. So I, I test for me is, you know, smart dairy farmer saying, I think that cow is going to, you know, keep going and make more milk. Um, or she's going <laughs> to move away from what she's historically done. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, that's the eye test. So I'm doing that test cow side. Um, can she physically withstand another lactation? For me, like chronic stuff, like treatments and sore feet, to me, that's a data point And it should be a data point on every single computer. Um, there's again, hurt supervisor for hoof treatments and all that stuff. 
you know, all that stuff should count strikes against cows for me. And in the decision, strikes against cows in the decision to, does she stay or does she go? I've seen, like I said, what would what would qualify, you know, as not passing the eye test, cows live forever. Well, not forever, but, you know, eight, nine lactations and, and be trouble-free, you know, not to use our catch tag, but four event cows and uh, be highly profitable dairy cows that, again, those cows are the ones we just don't see. And it's because yeah. they're out doing what they're supposed to do every day. And they, you know, they have produce high volumes of milk and CFP and just get pregnant. So for me, it's a two different, it's a little bit different than just, uh, I I think we make a lot of cow side decisions there. And and, and when I say I don't make a cow side decision, again, we all make cow side decisions as, you know, directly right beside this cow. This cow cannot, you know, that's our 25 percentile, let's say, that leave for non-reproductive, you know, they're your utter breakdown, your feet and leg breakdown. Those, Those cows are obvious for the vast majority of our producers. I think when we talk about culling now, we're talking about more, you know, what are the more subtle cows that, again, statistically I can put forward and be, these ones aren't going to do what they did last lactation and I should put them on a cull list mm-hmm. that are, again, not eye test driven. Well, and cull test does, and I like putting them on a call list doesn't mean you got to get rid of them right away. It just well, means that not. you're making the decision. You're not going to bring them back. Like right. her, her, her role of producing offspring in the herd as well. She's only got one role now. She's just going to make milk. We're not going to rely on yeah, no, offspring or beef calves or whatever. Days if we want, yeah, uh, as a as a fat cow, um, for sure. Again, yeah, hundred percent. Like, and even for me, like I don't have a big problem shipping pregnant cows if I've, and and so I, I, again, I'm not a big eye test guy because I'd rather work at a, a position of strength where. I have 15% of my herd calving in the month of November and or November. Yeah. Incentives are coming off and I have 15% of my herd calving. I can comfortably eliminate 5% of my pregnancies that month without being worried about milk flow. Well, I can't make that decision if the cow's not pregnant first. Mm-hmm. So if she's not pregnant for me, I, I'm a big believer in giving every cow, you know, again, outside of your protocols for what, you want as your breed you know do not breeds again the more subtle ones of you know they are functionally sound but they're in my lower let's say they're functionally sound but they're in my lower production groups and so this cow if i don't need cows calving that month she becomes a cow that moves on because or moves on or we call as a um, five to six month pregnant cow or we call we estimate and have her abort and leave her as a do not breed cow um those are all options i have once i have a pregnant cow but until i have that pregnant cow i I can't really drive the drive the decisions as a producer man i know there's lots of markets too like you're talking about you know five and six month pregnant heifers like there's farms cattle dealers everybody's buying these animals up now like i think we're kind of at the beginning of going into a we're just we're we're kind of at the peak or the valley. I'm not sure which we're in, how to describe this, but um, where our inventories have come back in line, beef breedings are getting accelerated. So I don't see the replacement herd, at least in this part of the world, as being 
very robust. It's kind of average or or maybe even, I wouldn't say going into a negative, but yeah. you know, we're probably where we need to be. Yeah, no, I was actually just talking to someone this morning about that. I, I think we're pretty stagnant right now. Yes, that's a good description. As a um, as a as a uh, industry herd, let's call it. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've we've come through come through, wasn't that hard? But it we've we've come through that position where I think I think last summer, uh, the the summer before even or the fall winter before, where there was again a lot of realization that maybe we used a little bit too much beef uh, without reproductive success on the sex semen side. Uh, again, had too many beef beef calves and a lot of just willy nilly decision making going on, in my opinion, and that was all retroactive to the fact that in 2018, 19, 20, everybody had heifers coming out of all four corners, right? Mm-hmm. So we had a big pendulum swing with all the way the other way, and I think now we've come back to, again, like you said, close to where we need to be as an industry, as a whole. Again, you're gonna have outliers that. You know, your dealers and drovers and stuff that are going to be still looking for cows, but uh, far less individuals are going around looking individually for cows is what I find. So I think you're going to see a bit of a stagnant price point. Like, are we going to get back up to that 35, you know, 4,000 number that we saw last summer? No, I don't think so. I I don't think so either, but you know what? Interest rates, margins have all played a little bit of a, a big role in that. Um. So I think, yeah, it, like you said, I think we both said a little bit is that I think it's stagnated and we're going to see a bit of a leveling off and, you know, not a price drop by any means, but just a leveling off. Steady. We're not going to see the highs and we're not going to see the lows, I don't think. I think it's more than new normal, like from the beef side of stuff, I guess, is like they've had their big calls in 2020 and 2021. And now we're starting to see that reflected in the calf price where it seems like dairy is more of the calf producer for the beef industry. Now Mm -hmm. Uh, I know some beef farmers that maybe listen to this don't want to hear that, but you know, I think the the future beef herd now is the dairy herd. Yeah. I I think you're hundred percent right. I think you're even seeing dairies become more serious about raising their, uh, as another revenue stream of raising beef, steers yes mm-hmm. um i think you've definitely seen that and i think some will do that really really well others <laughs> others it will be an absolute disaster as normal um because again sometimes you got to focus on what you're good at and uh again we're going to see some dairies get a little bit stretched that from a uh a help standpoint that the beef side isn't for them and their 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 best option is drop calves and and, and move that way and take the money there Hard not to when they're the price they've been. Right. Get your margin out of them right away because you have no work into them other than getting your in calf. But that could be even argued too. I know I was talking to a producer about that last week. It's like, does semen cost, cost, does that count as a milk production cost or do you attach that to the calf leaving or or how do you look at that, I guess? But that could be a discussion. Well, it's never been a better return on investment. I know that. (laughs) No, (laughs) like I might be a little biased in that discussion, but it's, yeah, like it's, it's, um, I think the biggest thing is making sure that going forward, your genetic herd, whatever you want that genetic herd to be, um, it, it needs to have focus nowadays. And because there is option and it focus only from the standpoint of there is, you know, a fair bit of revenue to make at $900 for a drop calf. Well, I, yeah. I, I think that's, we're on the extreme there. I don't know if it's going to stay that high. 
but I don't think it's going to go back down to where they're getting paid, you know, three fifty, four hundred for them. Well, I just, I think, I don't think so either. I think based off just, again, the North American herd is down significantly as a mm-hmm. whole. Um, I think it is in a, it does appear to be in a recovery stage, but uh, cattle or uh, protein pricing is, is going to probably have to come down more to see that really, really come through. But, you know, again, as a dairy producer, uh, I, it, it's a little out of our, as the average dairy producer, I think it's out of our peer view. And I think we still need to focus on doing what dairy producers need and not get caught up in the weeds of beef production too much. And yeah. I've seen, we've seen enough farms go off the deep, again, off the deep end, but not lose focus on what they do, what there's their main milk driver and that's milk. Um, and we can do a better job identifying calls, you know, breeding strategies to identify, okay, you know, like, like we talked about earlier, I don't need genetic offspring area. I can use her as a pregnancy, uh, as a uterus and, and a beef pregnancy carrier, but I don't need offspring out of her. And just, again, as a producer driving that discussion, and there's still enough, a lot of producers where the cows drive the discussion. And that's from a who stays, who goes standpoint. And that's not in the right position to be in. Yeah. Um, back to some of the data points and like the other criteria that you were looking at for calling, like if you had to pick, say your top three that you're going to, you know, have a cow take another career path. Like, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what are your top three criteria? Is it like previous health events? Is it combined fat and protein numbers? Is it, I don't know, pick your, so for, for me, my your data my, point. Yeah. So for, for me, the top data points are CFP produced uh, per lack per day of life per lactation. So for me, I, I really, if, if we really want to drive our profitability, we, we need to focus on maximizing our production or component production per stall. I'm not, um, so for me, that's number one, um, does this cow. So like the cows that trick us in that, in that environment are the ones that have poor lactation persistency. Um, so I, you know, if, if a cow were in for, for me in a second lactation, if a cow exhibited poor lactation persistency as a two-year-old most don't the odd one does um they become high call candidates because again i don't need cows i don't need transitioning cows filling up my not sorry non-traditioning transitioning cows filling up my dry cow pens um and i and i definitely so for me that's a big one um second so if you're on dairy you know dhi or laxonet whatever um like using BCA, BCA within herd, for instance, as a tool for that outside and you know, on top of, you know, CFP dollars per day of life, uh, that number and, and actively choosing to get rid of cows that are below my 50, 50th percentile. Yeah. If we're not getting rid of below 50 percentile cows for profitability reasons, then we're limiting our opportunity. It's a direct opportunity cost of being more profitable. Because they are in our bottom 50%. The simplest way to make our milk average go up is get rid of the worst cows. And again, we need inventory to come replace them. But so profit profit drives everything. So for me, it's butterfat per day or combined fat and protein per day um, as my number one. And then definitely after that, yeah, no one likes sick cows. So if 
I'd, I'd say health events generally become for me anyways, you know, am I going to breed a cow past 120 days that has had multiple strikes against her, regardless of production at this point? Uh, that's probably when health events play more of a role for me. Again, they're probably open at 120 days because they had health events. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if a cow's, you know, again, third, fourth breeding that is not in my top 50 percentile and she has health events again, to me, that's a pretty easy indicator. So I definitely like to go on farm's computer and, and make reports that say help identify those cows within a herd and again there's lots of ways to do that but if we can get them on a list that you know dhi again has that cows i think it's call early or dry off list list on yeah on dairy comp the early dry off or call list yeah i think it's called something like that i I like to make it a little bit different than that specific list but that as an as an example is a great somebody's coming or cow value is another one or preg value on dairy comp, for instance, does it for me? Those are great reports to go to find a group of cows that I maybe don't see every day, but they're hurting my bottom line, mm-hmm. and I need to know who those cows are so I can again for me eliminate them or replace them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, those cows work great for beef semen because if I got them pregnant, I don't have a whole lot of investment into them. They have an investment inside, mind you. But uh, that's a that's a little bit of the risk reward game. Well, and if you're just looking at, I guess there's two different ways to look at culling. Are you looking at culling to as a tool to better gen, like to make your herd more profitable? Is that by you know tightening up your gap in your herd and having like just better Holstein genetics around and then breeding the bottom to beef, or are you looking at it as a management tool for inventory? Yeah, and I, I think it has to be both, right? Like, yeah, I think where a lot of, <laughs> I think where a lot of producers uh, get a little bit sidetracked is, is again, from my, I'm not a genomics, uh, genomic testing guy, um, or person. It uh, for me, it's it's no different than corn seed, right? Like, corn seed, the genetics is in the corn seed. Once it's in the ground, life takes over, right? And, and yeah, Holstein's yeah. and gen- genetics and Holstein's is no different like the whole genetic game is 100% over after conception. So everything else is just noise after the calf's born and, and the genetic expression is, is all phenotype driven or phenotype driven. So can we, you know, the, the, the things earlier we talked about like daily gain serum total protein at, uh, as a calf, how many of the, how, how many of the check marks did this calf make? from a reproductive or from a replacement standpoint to drive our best replacements. You know, if, if, you know, we see, (laughs) we see a lot of herds right now that aren't even using top genetic bulls, whether that be again, proven or genomic, I I could care less, but aren't even using the top end and then throwing $30, or $40 genomic test at them to find out that the heifer's still in the bottom quarter. Well, we didn't need a genomic test to tell us that. You know, if we're talking herd replacement or like flush candidates or, you know, for me, if I'm genomic testing, I'm genomic testing my top 25% because that's actual where I could actually see the return on it. But then we're also, so we're, we're driving in the same uh, focus point of genetically, then everything's kind of going the street line. Like we see a lot of farms that are 
it's a it's a their genetic targets are all over the place for what they want they're trying well I might get a little bit iffy but like for me a triple a or like triple a or let's say herd classification we have like if you're trying to fix every single animal every single point well that's just not realistic for maximizing the overall output of your herd and like every animal is only it's got a hundred cow herd every animal is one percent of the bulk tank you know Mm -hmm. each one has a little bit more but really you know we're talking about really small percentages on the total output of the the sorry the farm's profitability so genetics definitely plays that role where we have to drive in a straight line in the right direction for where we want to go that way when we have to call cows which is going to happen especially old cows we have something that fits our goals that's going to drop right in and replace her um, so that we can drive that decision on old cows and if we don't have that then we're not when we replace like when we replace an old cow we need somebody that's going to replace her from it's going to do better than her that's the goal and again regardless of what your genetic goal is your genetic goal should always be that the calf in the pen is better than the cow leaving the herd yeah and we when we see tons well you'll see tons i'll see i see tons that are again two-year-olds are giving averages are 11 5 12 000 almost on two-year-olds mm-hmm. so we we've we've moved the bar for sure now it's a it's truly on most areas it's truly identifying again cows that are on the downslope and identifying these cows yes she's still a twelve thousand liter cow but the chance of her you know she's down from fourteen thousand the year the lactation before the chance of her coming back to fourteen thousand is it's yeah it's not not gonna let's, happen let's say it's two and a hundred or uh, three and yeah. a three three to ten maybe like, so thirty percent you get your health events or something that could happen through a lactation that could throw a cow off for lactation but typically that's not the norm i'd say that's the exception no they're on they're on the way down so like you can a simple report i I like to make is just you know rank cows by deviation of previous lactation and that again gets people to a list that is of their lower performing cows over the previous lactation and once they get there they're like oh yeah they generally they're like oh yeah only that cow had a health you know without looking at their health events that cow had a poor calving that cow those cows usually have reasons they're there it's not usually a surprise to most producers but they needed a list to see to get them on there and that's where using your computer using again if you don't have daily weights if you're using your lactinet or you know test dates or something like that those are all things that are there that we can use as producers to drive profitability yeah and i know like there's just there's so much information out there now i think part of the problem is we get information paralysis like we just you you kind of spin in circles and don't know where to start when you start to evaluate things like that and i think it takes a group of advisors around you to say okay what are your goals okay so then all of a sudden then we're going to either create a decision tree or we're going to look at a or criteria that are going to fit your goals to move your herd forward yeah and, and like i've been a part of enough marketing meetings that you know as a producer i'm sitting there or standing there and it's like right that's great that's cool information but what's the impact and yeah. and the impact on most 
a, a lot of the noise on a lot of you know robots robots you know we've, we're seeing uh, more milk parlor data whether that be through uh, herd navigator or you know affi lab or something like that L- tons and tons of data points the the reality is is that individual is still only one percent of my tank mm-hmm. so how how do i increase the average in, or the profitability of my tank is maybe that one percent has to leave or which one is going to greater affect you know the percent of the impact of the bulk tank going up and that that's what a lot of people are trying to you know, foo dust, right? Like it's just the whole yeah. I've, sprinkle this and and the sprinkle this on, and the magic and the and the problem goes away, and that that's not reality. And so, once we have again, I like to dumb it down to genetics just because I'm a genetics guy. But like every herd needs to pick two to three traits that they want to focus on. Again, I'm not going to care what those are for you, but we need to get it down to two or three reports and and profitability drivers for your dairy and say, these are the reports that matter. And yeah. that can vary for herds, but for the vast majority of herds, it's, it's going to be the same couple reports, the profitability, milk per day, th- things like that, that are going to say, this is why I'm not taking home $17 per kilo of butterfat when my neighbor is, and I'm only taking home $12 per kilo of butterfat. And that's the difference between being profitable and being stagnant or on the way out in unfortunately in enough cases yeah um was there any kind of you know take-home messages that you had when it comes to you know developing a strategy or or starting to get into the process of trying to make a better decision on your on your farm to you know to make incremental steps to make your to make your life easier and your bottom line better. Well, for me again, like I like I said earlier, I think my own dairy. I love being. Well, I love. I, I generally am the dumbest person in the room for any specific area, and I think for me that's a strength because I right away you're like, okay, I don't know more than the person beside me, so then I'm more likely to listen to what they have to say, and then take that information and apply it to my dairy so i think too many times producers get blinders on and sometimes you can't see the problem that exists or again the phrase you know that we've done this forever Mm -hmm. and this is the way we do it and okay well sometimes it doesn't and it works for us well that's that's great but then i think third party again regardless of what the segment is whether it be accounting finance nutrition genetics for me that leaning on the third party for each of those categories is why in enough cases you pay them to do that and so then it comes down to a willingness to be more profitable as a producer and i think historically there's been more margin for error than there is today in a lot of dairies and that's you know the economic environment we're in and, and that so for me that i guess the take home is um, my my home computer is an open book or my on farm computer you know anybody can go on there anybody can do what they want to the information and well to obviously to a degree but the the reality is that the more open we are with our business i think the more open we are to success because we're we're going to take 
people's advice and uh i'm a big fan of conflict over harmony within a board structure <laughs> and having those diff difficult conversations and part of that's because I, I don't have any issue being deba debative and uh, having you know you prove me wrong i'll try and prove you wrong and we'll meet in the middle to have a civil discussion about it and but i think that's what drives profitability and if we're not willing to do that as a producer um then then we are as good as we are going to be because we can't we don't get out of our own way yeah and there, there is now not every person that drives in the drive is a salesperson yeah obviously they're selling something but if you know i think and I'm a little biased again as a salesperson, but if I'm not building 25 early year relationships, I'm being pretty short-sighted. Yeah. Whether it's, no, food, I... whether, it's vet, whether it's, you know, in our, in my case, AI, um, if I'm not there to reap the rewards of what my decision had, then yes, those people are not in your corner and you need to change that up. Yeah. And I completely agree. And that's with not that. easy because you're, you're breaking sometimes relationships. Yeah. But you know, if we, yeah, we. I, I think we're going to see a lot of. We get away with a lot in the dairy industry, based off relationships that no other industry is allowed to, mm -hmm. because they. Or I shouldn't say dairy, ag, and I think it's ag a little bit more ag related. Dairy is obviously with supply management has a little more of that yet because they're you know historically have been really good, well decent margins if you did a good job, but we're getting to a point where the margins are a little bit tighter, where we're forced to make more business decisions over emotional or over relationship and where everybody on our dairy is pulling in the same direction. So yeah. And I know it means surround yourself with people. I know and, I've sat down with you at barn offices and things like that, having advisor meetings and I've sat down in advisor meetings where the producer may not want to make any changes and that's fine. That's it's their business to run. And I've sat down with producers that are always looking to make changes. And typically those are the ones that are moving forward every year, whether yeah, it be so. new projects or whether it be, you know, buying farms or going to a different sector of agriculture or, you know, just getting better, like higher production year over year. Like you, you see the increases where, you know, over 10 years, they're milking the same amount of cows that they were six, seven years ago, but their quota holdings have grown. So yeah, like, like, we all have that example, but I like uh, one of the herds I work with that uh, I, I know 10, 12 years ago, we had a discussion of how, what are we going to do? We have to produce, we can't, this barn won't produce the quota we need to be filled. And uh, it was, it was kind of, again, rewarding as a consultant, but as a, or well, even as, as a friend, but like there's 80 kilos up 10 years later from that point and they're milking in the same barn in the same yeah. stalls. Yeah. Everything's just got that much better. Yeah. And it, so, you know, and not my, and your roles as advisors and consultants or lack of a better term, um, that's the rewarding part. Right. And um, yeah, it, uh, it sure makes that part of the job fun. And uh, so that, that'd be my, my biggest take home is all is use the people around you. Uh, again, I'm a big fan of being the dumbest room, dumbest person in my boardroom. And that means everybody else is driving in the right direction. So I truly appreciate you coming on today, Gary. I know, uh, like I said a few times, like we've had some pretty great conversations in the past and it's fun to actually record it and put it out there for everybody else to listen to 
And uh, I, I just hope that people find value in it because uh, I know you're in a very unique position in the industry. There's not too many other people that are, you know, farming and advising other herds. Like it's uh, you get to see the best of both worlds and you can put your farmer and advisor hat on at the same time. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty good insights to grab. So I appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast a lot. Oh, no, I appreciate the uh, invitation. I think, again, I think as someone, as someone that sits in a truck a lot and has lots of time to think and talk, it, uh, I find these podcasts uh, very rewarding. Um, again, you know, I, I think, well, you, I think if we go on dairies at the, the beginning, we, we definitely want to go on and see, take home as producers, take home what that, what did I see at this dairy? What did I like about this dairy? What didn't I like about the, what I saw? And take that home and be better at home. And uh, again, I think that's where, yeah, we constantly get better as a as a as a business producer that way, right? And so I appreciate. I thank you for the the opportunity. Yeah. So, Thanks, Gary. You have a good one. You too. Thanks for listening. This episode of the Dairy Farmer's Digest is brought to you by the dairy team at Wallenstein Feed and Supply Limited. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast player. And please leave us a review. If you would like further information about today's topic, check out the show notes for further details and our contact information. I would also like to extend a special thanks to Christine Schoonerwood, our producer, and our sound engineer, Daniel Noguera.